All right. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Kids ages three years and through pre-K are dismissed for Holy Cross Kids. If you're visiting with us and you have kids in that age range, they're welcome to join us. You can walk with them to register them. This morning's scripture reading is from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. First Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And Genesis two fifteen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Let's pray. O oh, Heavenly Father, as we begin a new series on work and rest, and as we look at your word, we pray that through your spirit, You will open our eyes to understand it, to receive it, to believe it, to be changed by it. We pray that this time would be glorifying to you and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable. We pray that you would work through the next half hour, uh, that we would grow into the image of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, A few years back, 14 exactly, I went to to call. This is in Guatemala. Anyone been there? It's one of the ancient ruins. It's a city that is made by hand out of stone. They have large structures. They have courtyards. The streets are paved with stone. They have corridors and rooms. But most notably, they have these giant pyramids. And of course, they set them up in accordance with the equinox and uh, the stars and sun and moon and, and so forth. And they uh, have them towering out of the jungle. But, you know, for years, no one knew that those ruins were there because the jungle had swallowed it up. I mean, all that work, imagine building a city out of stone. I mean, how they, they must have hewn the stone and carried it and placed it and reset it and got it where they wanted and built an entire city, all that work. And now there's all this work to recover it as they pull back the jungle that's overgrown it and so we can go and visit and See what happened years and years ago. And I'm sure you've heard of the legend of Atlantis, some ancient city that's reported to have sunk into the sea and is no more. We don't even know if it existed. We know nothing about it. Uh, Imagine an entire city, the work to build a city, to have it swallowed by the ocean. And how many things do we know in recent history? A great architecture that's been destroyed by fire or by war. So much work. It seems such a waste. Things fall apart. 
there's enthalpy, you know, the loss of energy. Things are collapsing. And, you know, I know this full well. I took a self-funded sabbatical four years ago, and I did uh, this self-funded sabbatical was to work hard at something other than the abstraction of ministry. So I bought a house at auction, and I went to work on it, and I was fixing all of its broken parts. And in the process, uh, my body got broken. Um, I herniated my back, and now I'm still living in this house, and I don't know if I'll be leaving. But, you know, the thing, three and a half years later, I'm now refixing the things that I fixed three years ago. I hate that. Okay, when I fix it, I want it fixed. But that's not the way it works. It's constant maintenance. You've always got to come back, and there's a crack in the wall, and it cracks again. And so we're always at work. And so that leaves us asking a lot of questions when things fall apart. Stuff breaks. Businesses go bust. Like, what's the point? You can get cynical. You can get frustrated. But we see in Genesis that God has cursed the work of our hands. Because of the fall, because of sin, you will cultivate the ground, Adam. You will work and plant and till, and it will produce thorns and thistles. And you will work by the sweat of your brow to feed your family. So work can be so toilsome. Anybody remember the Loverboy song? Everybody's working for the weekend. No one? I'm dating myself, I know. Everybody's working for the weekend. I mean, you're putting in your time so you can get to the good stuff, right? Which is romance or partying or leisure, whatever it is that the good stuff is. But the work is just some necessary evil. So you can pay the bills and you know, feed yourself. And that is the typical thought of work throughout history all over the world, except for Christianity. But you know, jobs can be so mundane at times. Some of them are so strenuous. Others have horrible bosses. They're not paid enough. They're just being used and ground by a, a corporate machine that will put the money at the top while you just tighten the screws on. You just keep on working, keep on working, because someone needs another boat, needs another house. Some jobs are even dangerous. There's risk involved. You can even be fired. And people are struggling with emptiness and their sense of value. They can get angry about their jobs or their lack thereof. Some people are overworking. They've poured themselves, given themselves over to work. They're too busy trying to please people or try to get ahead. And they've lost the meaning that God has put into our existence. Really comes through relationship and the knowledge of God. Thorns and thistles. You work, you sweat, you toil, and then the ocean swallows your city. The jungle covers it over. Someone else makes off with the prophets. Our world is broken. It is subjected to decay. And people often hate work because they so clearly at times feel the curse. That friction, the punishment that God gave, becomes so real. So we have to ask ourselves in a series on work and rest, as this is our our kickoff and kind of an introduction to the mandate to work, what is it? And it's just that it's God's design, his ordinance, his purpose for humanity. And we're going to look at it in three simple points. 
that God calls us to work, and a lot of it. That work is good, and that work has purpose. So let's look at the first point. God calls us to work, and a lot of it. When you look at Genesis 1, 28, you see these words, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And immediately you think about the fruitfulness of the womb. You think about multiplying people and filling the earth with God's image. But that's not exactly the entire picture. Now, I I wonder if any of you who don't have children would ponder for a second whether you think it's work to raise a family. I have three kids. Does anyone have more than three kids? Oh, several of you. I dare anyone who does not have children to go ask these people if it is work to raise a family. I tell you, it is a mountain of work. And so this mandate to be fruitful and multiply has everything to do with work. So think of it beyond just reproduction. Some people are not blessed with that ability, by the way, and we need to be sensitive and careful. But this is bigger than just having babies. Being fruitful meaning you can create multiply and that you can advance, fill, that things will grow. And then, of course, he says, subdue, that we can go forth and discover, we can research. God has embedded in his creation so many things for us to learn, so much about science. I mean, they didn't know about all the elements. There's so much more for us to learn. Think of all the products that we've created, the the materials that we have advanced our lives with. This has come from people subduing creation, working, tilling, figuring things out. That that is God's call to us. Note how they mimic Genesis 2.15. That there are two words there, work and keep. He puts Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. And you think of work, you you think of those words from Genesis 1. Be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue. This is where you're exploring, researching, discovering, building, making advancements. But then there's the keep the garden. And that's where he says in Genesis 1 to have dominion over the creatures. That we are image bearers of God. We're vice regents. We are little kings and queens of the earth. We are to be like God. We're to reflect His character and His nature. And He gives us a mandate to work and to keep. And so you have the full spectrum where you're building and you're managing. You're creating and you're sustaining. This was mandated prior to the fall and after the flood. It's repeated. So we know it's just as alive and well post-fall as pre-fall. This is God's purpose for us. And it is a primary occupation for six out of seven days You shall work. As we read Colossians 3, work heartily as for the Lord. And in 2 Thessalonians, he says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. We are designed in the creation to be workers and keepers. And if you are in any way not doing that, you will suffer depression. I myself have times where I did not have work. And it is very troubling. And I've known people who didn't have work for years. And you will fall into a depression. You you begin to question your utility and your purpose. That we are so intimately tied to our doing. 
Now at the very end of the sermon, we'll get back to this. We need to be careful that we don't become religious in our working. But if we fail to work, we will suffer. God mandates that we work. Now I just got back from the beach. Uh, my sister lives in Florida, about a mile from a very nice beach. It's very flat. And when the tide goes out, it goes way out. And there's lots of room. And there are little pools that are left. And uh, I get the children. We go out there and we build sandcastles. And we love it. And we, we get very uh, extensive uh, in our building. We, we have moats and pools. We have canals and uh, islands and towers. Sometimes we do the drip castles, you know, where they look more gothic. Other times we, we carve them more geometric. Sometimes when we do that, we'll take the drip castle method and we'll make a little forest of evergreens all around the, the region. You see, uh, the, the, the realm of where the king's castle is. And we have tunnels that we'll dig and pathways up to the castle. And, you know, when the, when the, the pools are left, we, we might turn the whole area of the beach into a city. You know, like some, some realm of the king. And we uh, even have taken the little, you know, the sea straw and we'll, we'll break it and we'll put it in the walls like cannons or like pilings, you know, f- for defense. And some of these look so cool. And the harder we work on them, the better they look. And of course, the tide comes back in and that's fun too, watching the, the water knock it down and seeing what's going to knock down first and all that. And sometimes I'll tell a story like it's, you know, some, some catastrophic event happening to this town you know, and what the king is doing about it and how he's repairing this wall. And, uh, but we have a good time. And, and the reason is because it's in us to create, to subdue. It's in us to build. And even though it's washed away, we have a great time as a family. And it is work. I mean, you're in the hot sun. You're digging with a shovel and your back starts hurting. Your forearms are hurting. And you've got sand in places you don't want it, right? And your bathing suit's probably wet and doesn't fit right. I mean, you know, it's work. But it's so worth it, and we so enjoy it. And that brings me to the second point, that work is good. I mean, God doesn't mandate evil. He didn't create something that was, that was going to be a frustration. The frustration came with the curse. So God has given work as a gift that we might experience the fruitfulness of creating. The joy of building and growing and being part of discovery. And the reason it's good is because God himself works. God worked through creation. And if you're familiar with the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says he works through providence. Working and keeping. Creating and sustaining. The same thing he put Adam in the garden to do. That Adam was to reflect God Almighty in his doing. That we are to be like God as we subdue and create. And to be like God as we rule and keep and sustain. This is a great privilege. But we do have to contend with the thorns and the thistles and the frustrations And so work is bittersweet. Obviously, the more in tune you are with your giftedness, the more you will enjoy work. And other times, the the thorns and thistles seem to, to be overcoming you. But we don't want to throw out the value of work because of the frustrations. Years ago, I had a, a, 
a dear friend of mine. We grew up in the same neighborhood. He was like an older brother to me. He was dying of cancer. And he was laying on his deathbed. He was 38. I was 35. And I was talking to him about Jesus and just spending time with him. Um, it was a difficult time. But in those conversations, he looked to me and he said, Dave, what do you think heaven's like? And I started telling him things that I knew from the scripture about the, the leaves of the trees bringing healing to the nations and the, the streets of gold and the treasures of the earth coming in for the glory of God, that He is the light, there is no need for the sun. And as I, I was talking about what it must be like, what senses might be enlivened, what new colors or tastes or smells, um, we just don't know what God has in store for us. And he had this glimpse of hope. And he said, and challenges? And I thought, huh, I, I never thought about that. And it, it restructured my thinking. I had a mini epiphany at that moment. Yes, I think we will have challenges in heaven. And he, the, the, he was sad at the thought that he would no longer have challenges to overcome. And he had this, this hope, this joy that there would be challenges. And that reminds me of Richard Phillips, a pastor in South Carolina, PCA guy, who talks about the parable of the talents. Remember, God gives resources to people and he sends them out to go and to uh, build his kingdom. And they come back and they have multiplied their resources except for one. And do you remember what the reward is for people who have done well with the Lord's resources? It's more work. They, he, they are rewarded with more work and responsibility in heaven. More work. But without the toil, without the frustration, without the difficulty, without the backaches, you will receive fully and completely the fruit of your labor. And it will be good. It will be wonderful. You will delight in work because work is divine. God has given it because He loves it and He does it and it's a gift to you that you might embrace it. And in the future, that's what you will be doing. Richard Phillips goes on to talk about watching garbage men in his neighborhood. He says that they are efficient and they like their jobs and he said they're pleasant and intently focused on their work. There is joy there's something divine in work. There is a reward. But in the future, there will be no more toil and frustration. Amen. You know, this concept is fairly unique to Christianity. Most people throughout history have viewed work as something that you get other people to do for you. Okay, If you have power and control, you exploit people, you use people, and you get them to do the work. They've also viewed work as just a necessary evil. You know, again, working for the weekend. Let's get to the real stuff. We'll get through the hardship so I can, I can have my fun. But that's not the biblical reformed view. Work is good. This, of course, leads me to the third purpose or third point, that work has purpose. Because it is the very activity of God Himself, it has value. Innately. It doesn't matter how much money or respect is given. As Tim Keller says, the word vocation means calling. 
That it's an opportunity to serve God and man with your talents, your gifts, your skills, your experience. That you can belong to something bigger than yourself. That you can get past yourself to live for a purpose of which you were designed. That God has a unique spark in you to do something. That you might excel at it. A way to make society better. To help the common good. Not to pursue self-actualization. But yes, to feel God's pleasure as you live out this calling to work. It's an opportunity to worship. It is, as Tim Keller says, a form of love. God's assignment to serve others. And Dorothy Sayers says it's the medium in which one offers oneself to God. Tim Keller goes on to say, in short, work, and lots of it, is an indispensable component in a meaningful human life. It is a supreme gift from God and one of the main things that gives our lives purpose. But it must play its proper role, subservient to God. And we'll talk more about these concepts of how to work throughout the series. But for now, the meaning and purpose of work, I want you to know, is tied to your relationship with God. God has gifted you. God has given you talents. Notice that in Genesis 2, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. And you see the capital L-O-R-D, which means it is the name of God, the I Am, the Yahweh covenant name of God. Meaning that God, in His relationship with Adam, stooped in His grace and bestowed upon him the gifts of His garden and creation, the gifts of being able to work, the gift of relationship the gift of producing offspring. He's, he's given so much in this relationship and He asks Adam for obedience. That's the covenant Lord. And so when you are in a right relationship with God, you will be closer to a right relationship with work. And when your relationship with God is faulty, you will have trouble being content, dealing with the thorns and thistles, or feeling like you're, you're being used for a greater purpose. So let me ask you, what has God put on your heart? Where do you feel His divine calling? Your place to make a positive contribution to society. What are your interests and your gifts? What are you good at? So your vocation must be honoring to God because it's reflecting Him. So that's a parameter as you think about that. That you and your dominion, your righteous ruling, have to reflect God's image and have to have a career that is worthy of that. So, no, you cannot be an exotic dancer to the glory of God. I don't think you can exploit others for selfish gain and expect God's pleasure. And no, you cannot work for only money and expect to be happy. We're so captivated with happiness, aren't we? The pursuit of happiness. You know, they've studied this. And if you are below $60,000, that's the contemporary number in their studies. $60,000, your happiness can decrease because you're trying to meet basic needs and pay certain bills. 
And they say at $60,000 when you have that cushion where you've paid, you, you can pay the electric bill, you got food, and you got insurance, and you can pay a mortgage. After that, there is no increase in happiness. I mean, they, they've studied this extensively. People who have, have billions of dollars say they are no happier than when they had very little money. That money is really not a circumstance for happiness. And yet there is a, there's a tweet that just went viral. You know, it says, uh, mo' money, mo' problems. But I'd like to find out for myself. Right? We think, we still think, that more money will bring us happiness. But apparently it doesn't. You know, we get uh, captivated with kind of a worldly concept of happiness, but the Christian concept is joy. Learning to be content, Paul says, in the prison or in the palace. That the joy of the Lord can be constant because God is with you and God loves you in that relationship. And that's really what we're made for, a relationship. There was a guy who he's made movies very successfully, has made millions and millions of dollars. He lived in... 30,000 square foot houses in, in uh, California and Beverly Hills. And uh, he discovered the more money he made, the more isolated he became and the more miserable he became. So now he lives in a trailer park. Now he says, it, admittedly, it's a nice trailer park, but it's a trailer. And people are close together, and I'm far happier. I'm talking to my neighbors, and I'm part of community. So sometimes we think that money is the answer, that money is the reason for working. But there are great careers where you are using your gifts to the glory of God that don't make a ton of money. But you, you can be content. And in the worldly sense, you can also be happy. You know, the, the older I get, the more I desire to help other people. The more I learn that it's better to give than to receive. And I, I could never be a nurse. I have benefited greatly from kind nurses when I'm recovering from surgery or things like that. Um, what do they call them? Angels of mercy. If you're a nurse, bless you. I can't handle the groaning and the bodily fluids and all that stuff. Okay? But I, my heart wants to help people more and more as I know the Lord because that's who He is. And I think about careers that I, I never thought of before. You know, these things can change as we mature. You're not a static person. Your gifts and talents and abilities will, will change. And so, uh, you know, you can always think of what God has for you to do next. Of course, I think God has for me to help people through the ministry of the Word and, and counseling and in that way. But again, work is an opportunity to love to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Life is not all about leisure. There is greater joy and contentment in service. Well, I want to uh, wrap this up with a story. I, I went to a conference. It was about evolution and creation. And if you know the biologist Doug Axe, he was there, and he writes uh, journal entries. They were published in scientific journals until they discovered that he was refuting evolution. And then they barred him from those journals, and now he's published in Christian journals. Um, but his work is this. He studies proteins. There are only a certain number of proteins in the natural world. 
And he takes a protein and he tries to put pressures upon it to see if it can mutate in, in, in the production of these proteins, if it would become one of the other proteins. And he uses electricity and pressure and temperature and all kinds of, of pressures. And uh, what he finds is that they, if they mutate, they're just damaged. They're just ruined. He can't get a single protein to, to in any way uh, grow more complex or to change into one of the other proteins. So he says, at a molecular level, evolution is impossible. It does not work. Does this biology have any value to our society today? Is that a worthwhile career for him to pursue? I think it's big. I think it's really important. You know, some were asking him at this conference, what are we to do about this? What are we to do with, you know, the, there's this whole agenda and the sides are at war and what do we say? What do we do? And his answer, his answer is why I tell you this illustration. He said, just be really good at doing biology. He said, are you a biologist? I said, yes, just be really good at doing biology. Just be really excellent in your field, your vocation, your calling. If you are doing something that is positive to society, if you're making a contribution and it's using your skills and your gifts, then do it really well for the glory of God. And yes, deal with the thorns and thistles. You have no choice. But if you do excellent in that field, you do something good for the world, for the greater society around you. So, if it's child-rearing, if it's being an executive, if it's being a garbage man, if it's starting a business, whatever it is, there's something divine given to you to work and to work hard and to work most of your days. But I need to wrap this sermon up this way. It does not matter how good you are at whatever job you take. It does not matter how much money you make or how successful you feel. You can never earn God's favor. There is no amount of work that will put you in a right standing with God. There is no lack of work or laziness that can remove you from His grace if you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You cannot religiously earn favor with God. It is a gift to you to embrace. And you can make a difference in this world, yes, but you cannot gain salvation by your hard work. There is one who works for us, who has worked perfectly, Jesus Christ. He lived a life that you could not live. He perfectly satisfied God's requirements of the law. And he paid the penalty for your sin by becoming the curse when he hung on the tree so that you are free. You are free to love God, to know God, to experience the ins and outs of working through this life, but always holding the promise that one day you will work and it will be wind in your sails. It will be freedom. There will be no toil, no frustration, no more curse. That God is redeeming as far as the curse is found. And He will have a new heavens and a new earth. And you can hold on to that. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And no matter what happens in this life, the next life is glory. But hey, you're here. You might as well try to learn how to work for His glory. You can taste of it right now. You can't get all of it, but you can, through a glass, look dimly into the glory of living a life of purpose. 
And how you deal with the thorns and thistles is also opportunities for you to grow in grace, to grow in sanctification, to learn patience, to, to cry out to Him, to rely upon Him, depend upon Him, to, to spend your life in prayer and surrender. To say, I, can't, I cannot control these circumstances. I cannot control these people who are using me. I can't, all I can do is, is live for the Lord. That's freedom. And God will take care of everything. Will the judge of all the earth not do what is right? He has given you the way of salvation through Jesus' blood. And as you hold to that, there is great joy, great freedom, and great opportunity to use you gifts for His kingdom. Let's pray. God, again, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit at work through Your Word. We pray that the things that are of You will last and the things that are not will fade. God, Your kingdom will come and Your will uh, be done. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the opportunity to sing and to take the sacrament here in a minute. We thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to engage in the other parts of the worship service and to hear your word. Um, grow us up into the image of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.